Welcome to the Feel Better Naked Radio, where your host, Samantha Burgos, sits with influential beings to discuss how they feel better naked. Let's explore what it means to be you. Let's learn how to feel better naked. Hello, this is your host, Samantha. Welcome to the Feel Better Naked Radio. So this is our first part two, which makes me really excited. And I'm also really happy that our first part two was with Ari Guajardo. She's awesome. If you guys enjoyed the first episode, you definitely will enjoy this episode. In this episode, we talk a little more about the kind of the, how to apply things we learned in the first episode, but with a partner. Um, and also at the end, we have a little treat where we get to know personal things about her and just fun little questions um i hope you guys enjoy this episode <laughs> can we keep going yeah. <laughs> no well i mean honestly i i could like continue to go back and forth right giving more examples but i just want to illustrate to folks again that like if it's really hard to even contemplate you know like buying a sex toy buying lube is it, if it's hard to even consider figuring out what feels good against your genitals, then you don't have to start there. Like start outside, right? Mm-hmm. Start other ways. Because when we strengthen our attentiveness to pleasure, our, our connection to the, to the exploration of it, that shit translates into the bedroom, right. you know? Um, and this is like a really raunchy example. And I kind of can't believe I'm sharing this with you, but <laughs> I am someone, I am someone who grew up with such intense shame about my vagina, like about what it smells like, about what it tastes like, about what it looks like. And, and even like into my, you know, right. Like into my like thirties, I've struggled with it. I've been with my partner for going on seven years and in very comfortable relationship. And like, you know, he's actually helped me a lot around using sexual practices to heal my wounding of sexual violence. Okay. And so anywho, like even the best case scenario, um, it's still really hard for me to, when he goes down on me, because my immediate body response is to get tight and to like squeeze my legs together because I'm ashamed. So that's, that's my body. That's like, again, that's like my, that's my embodiment. That's like something I'm still trying to unlearn. But when I am fucking prioritizing my own pleasure in all these other ways, random shit happens like one time we were having sex and he likes to talk dirty and so sometimes he was like oh i want to teach your pussy all of a sudden i jump up and i fucking go and crawl and i fucking sit on his face yes <laughs> like, what like that even now i'm just like that makes me uncomfortable but in that moment what happened was when i was when i was i wasn't in my my head i wasn't in yeah i wasn't in my I head i was so connected to like pleasure and to being curious about what feels good that like I fucking did that yeah <laughs> I guess I meant that to be like a success story you too can crawl and sit on someone's face <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh my god I cracked you up <laughs> No, but honestly, we're we're joking about it, but it's it's not a joke. It, it's true. Because yeah. I think a lot of women, um, yeah, and like again, like vagina, I guess, bashing in a way. That's a to me, it's like a whole other thing too, because that, that that is true. Like, um, I think that and like periods together are just very like the vagina in general is just like 
not frowned upon, but it's just very like shut down mm-hmm. in a way. That's a whole mm-hmm. topic, but like it's true. And I think um it's it's a lot about, you know, one thing I think I've one takeaway I've gotten from our conversation is like a lot of it is just being like present, you know, like legit just being like in the moment and not so much like in our head. And I think it takes practice in a way, you know, and time and I, I love what you said about it doesn't have to start like in the bedroom. It can definitely start outside and you can work your way to in the bedroom. But like, yeah, I think that was such a powerful statement because it's very true. I think people, you know, when they think about sexuality and intimacy, their automatic thoughts are like the bedroom and like doing something with a partner. But it's like, you know, in a way, I think I'm a true believer in like, if you're not able to have that by yourself first, you know, in your own space, an own safe space for yourself first, it's like, how can you there then share that with someone or at least practice that in a like positive way with someone, you know, if you don't right. know yourself what it looks like. Right. And, and too, especially if people are in partnerships already and they're curious, you know, um, and they're curious about reclaiming this, this territory themselves. Um, you can relationship with your partner to help, right? So like, for example, you could, um, you could, or you could lie there like a starfish and with, you know, clothes on and then literally just be curious about like, right, doing like the blindfold game. I think this, I think this was like in a movie in the set, in the nineties rather, seventies, in the nineties, whereas like blindfold, you got clothes on and then your partner takes things and drags them across your skin and you have to guess what it is. Oh, right. I tried this. Like, <laughs> yeah, like there's so and so it can doesn't have to be overtly sexual, but just the fact that it's sensual, yeah. right? Does that work? Does that healing work? Um yeah. and if you don't mind, I'm kind of like I don't know, I'm steering a little bit. Um, but I just feel like it's really important to talk about how a lot of folks are in committed relationships when they decide that they want to do this work, right? Okay. And so one well, one of the things one of the happen is when you're approaching this with curiosity, but your partner is not. Your partner is business as usual, A plus B equals C, right? Um, and, and or maybe it's a partner that is super insecure or a partner who um, isn't comfortable with you asking for what you need because then, you know, because then if you ask for what you want, then immediately they're thinking that you're saying, oh, I'm not doing it good enough, right? Like, I'm not enough, right? (laughs) So that shit is really hard when we are with partners that aren't supportive and partners that have their own baggage to work through. Um, And again, what I would say if folks are in that situation is to really encourage you to do the work outside of the bedroom right Mm -hmm. to create that shape with your partner about like all right like you know um you know um would you mind uh, especially if like there's a practice that you guys aren't already doing like so let's just say you guys don't have a practice of massage and you're like hey babe you know would you mind coming and like massaging my hands and and it's like you know I'm gonna try to tell you specifically like what feels good right and then, because when you set up the expectation and it's a whole new game, right, mm-hmm. then that's just business as usual, you know, right. like your partner's less likely to be defensive about it. And also it's them practicing receiving feedback from you. 
right? And it's also you practicing how to, how to give feedback and how to give it in a way that your partner can receive, if that makes sense. No, it does, it does. So just so I, I can understand, I'm, you think I'm joking, I'm legit practicing. It's like, I don't have a partner, but I have like a, a person, I'll call him. Um, and I want to practice this because I think it's very true. So, so for example, if that was to occur in the bedroom, let's say, outside due to activity, whether it's like, for example, the whole blindfold thing of like dragging something or, you know, playing a little game. It's basically taking the practice of you vocalizing what feels good and him adjusting to it or your partner adjusting to it, rather than my friend or she, adjusting mm -hmm. to it and then eventually making that concept comfortable to therefore bring it into the bedroom. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And for folks that are wanting many more examples and exercises of what to do, um, I really encourage y'all to check out a person called Stacy Haynes, S-T-A-C-I-H-A-I-N-E-S. Um, she's a somatic practitioner. She's freaking, she's, she's amazing. Um, she's one of the founders of Gen 5, which is an organization built to um, end sexual violence um, in the next five generations. Um, I'll link her in the show notes, by the way, guys. So you can thank you. Yeah. And so she's got two books in particular that have been my, like, saving grace of my own healing journey. One of them is called Healing Sex, A Mind-Body Approach to Healing Sexual Trauma. Um, okay. And, uh, I'm, of course, I'm totally going blank on the other book that's really important to me. <laughs> and then, um, oh, it was... Um, I'm going blank. Okay, but if you look it up on Amazon, she has another book that's specifically for um, uh, for survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. And the thing about, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because basically the healing from childhood sexual abuse is so, not that it's like, linear but basically most many times it's so much more complex than healing from experience of violence later on in life because again like developmentally you're we're so vulnerable right. and so anyways like by so therefore that book is so powerful because it's so multifaceted it's so nuanced that like it's like us getting in the nitty-gritty right because for example we don't need to be victims of childhood sex violence in order for it to consider like our um you know what is what is my understanding of safety you know who in my life has introduced this concept of safety and what are the cues and so some of us it's like oh safety is when i get kissed on the forehead right or for some of us if we grew up in abusive backgrounds safety is when someone loves us so much that they scream at us when we make mistakes because they want us to be better Right. Mm -hmm. So like that sort of nuance. And, and so I, I see. And so I'm I'm offering these texts now because sometimes when when relation to our partner work, sometimes our partner can't isn't where we're at and they're and they can't really give us, you know, like space to unfold all these things. And so by going to these books, there's a lot of journaling prompts, but there's also physical activities okay. that we can do specifically to help kind of bring some curiosity to help, you know, consider ways to, um, you know, communicate differently. That's why I'm bringing all this up. No, I love that. And I have a question. Do you, so two questions actually, and one might sound silly, but 
I'm not sure. Is it is it possible for you to go through childhood trauma and not remember at all? That is yes. possible. Right? Very, very possible. Okay. I thought so. I just wasn't sure. And then the second thing I wanted to also ask yeah. um what what are your thoughts on doing it like doing this process or kind of like reading these books and doing these things together? Is it better to do it separate? Like you and your partner separate, kind of like mm. figure yourself out or doing it together as like a group? Like what do you what do you think about that? That's a good question. So I first want to um, share one thought about your first question, right? About um, how, yes, it is actually fairly common that folks who experience sexual violence as a kid do not remember anything or they remember very, very little. Mm-hmm. And so to folks who, um, this might be them, right? They may be um, curious about like, I feel like I may have been abused, but I don't have any memories. Like, do I need to? have to, you know, do I need to remember shit in order for it to be valid? Or for some folks, again, they remember very, very little, and they know that they have wounding around it, and they want to do the work, but they're like afraid of diving into the memories because they're afraid of remembering more. So on the topic of memory, um, and Stacy in her book does an amazing job articulating the why, but just so folks know, you don't have to uncover memories in order for your healing work to begin, or you don't have to uncover memories in order for you to prove to yourself and others that what happened to you was harmful, you know? Um, And I say that because we live in a rape culture where folks feel like it was the survivor's fault, right? Immediately, it's like, oh, well, what were you wearing? You know, like, how did you, you know, like, when your teacher started touching you, how did you respond? It's like, actually, fucker, like, it doesn't matter how I respond. The fact that my teacher is touching me in itself is wrong, right? Right. That's just one example. So I just want to put that out there because I know that's a lot of um, very very common barrier. Um, And then uh, can you remind me of your second question again? um, If you're going to start, like, your own uh, sensuality, intimacy, like, healing and stuff, should you do it with your partner, like, at the same time? Like, should you also buy the book and read it kind of thing? Or... Because we're separated together, or like how? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the answer entirely depends on your relationship with your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am a firm believer that even if your partner, may, maybe um, they also are survivors of sexual violence or survivors of trauma, um, it can be powerful to share our journeys with each other. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that our journeys definitely have a different, like it's a they're separate tracks. Yeah. You know, because it's only a matter of time until we come across something new that makes us feel uncomfortable and makes us feel shameful. And, and sometimes it's important for us to process that before sharing with someone else, because when we're in partnership, we're so enmeshed in each other that what happens is, for example, if you and I are in partnership, what happens is if I share something with you that's really challenging, you're going to have an emotional response. You're going to be challenged by my suffering. And so what happens is, is if I'm, if I didn't do that processing on my own, if I didn't do that work on my own, I could be super overwhelmed and needing your support, but you are so fresh in your feelings that like, you can't be there for me. And I, instead of, and then maybe I, instead of going into my own, continuing to be in my own work on it, I may cut that off so that I can take care of you, you know? 
or I may actually change. I may change. I would describe that piece of my healing because I want you to feel, I don't want your feelings to be hurt, you know, because I want to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's pros and cons, you know, but that also can be also really connective to, to be able to share that with your partner, especially if they show up, like they show up the way you need them to, you know? Interesting. Okay, cool. Okay. No, yeah. Thank you. Cause I, I, I was thinking like how I think that, yeah, I think very just based on your relationship. That's very true. Okay. Yeah. But then I have a very personal question kind of, um, I guess through all the work that and all like the things, you know, and everything and how it's kind of off, but how do you approach feeling better naked or feeling confident in yourself? Yeah. Like, mm. Ari, like personal. Yeah, yeah. Um, for Ari, honestly, it's okay. It's okay. Um, honestly, I think the way that I personally approach it is um. All right, yeah. So for me, for how I approach it is um. For most of my life, being naked was overtly sexual. Like I would be alone in my bedroom and I would be really aware of the shape of my stomach and I'd be sucking it in. Mm. Or I would be hyper aware of like the cellulite on my thighs, the way I would walk, you know, if I'd walk in my, you know, tissues would jiggle, I would feel some type of way. So I would start to walk on the balls of my feet, you know, like it was as if even there, the, even though there's no one fucking there. I was so trained that my body was for the male gaze that like I would be performing and adjusting accordingly. And so one of the ways that I was really able to change that was to overtly try to not be sexual. So I would like get um like for example doing yoga naked. Like yes, it can be sensual, but like if you're truly in the practice where like you're really focusing on your breath with the movement, it's really hard to be up in your head and to be thinking about being sexy if you're truly connected to your breath, you know? Right. And so like, so doing yoga naked, um, coloring naked on my bed or on the floor, um, Mm -hmm. just basically diversifying the things that I did naked and to do them, um, like, so sorry. So doing things that, um, beyond just sexy things so that I would, have more activities that I'm doing naked, but also doing things that got me out of like out of my self consciousness, you know? Yeah. Um, because yeah. then it, yeah, because then it like broke down the structure of that, like my naked body is for one reason and one reason only. I love you that. Know? I love that. I, I've never, literally, I've never had anyone explain that like that. It's amazing. Oh. <laughs> no, really, because I feel like it's very true. Um, it's very, yeah, it's very, very true. And I think that to your point, even, um, about the seeing your body as like a thing to like perform or just having to like be aware of like how you look and how you're moving and everything. I think that the average, unfortunately, the average woman experiences that at, at some point in their life, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's sad. It's crazy. It's very like, it's, yeah. And yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. How, um, do you have any, like, if you were to have like a toolbox for your 
I guess, to keep yourself aware of yourself and just for your mental health in a way, what two tools will you have in that toolbox? Hmm. For example, it could be things like on a meditation or journaling or whatever they are for you. But in order for you to like connect with yourself again, where are two things you, you do? Or one, if it's just one or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you asking that right now also is having me feeling some type of way because honestly, I've been really struggling with COVID life the last three months. And so I've been like very much not connected um, to myself the way I normally do. But in short, um, yeah, the practices that are like my bare bones, that that's what I'm really focusing on, especially because I know I'm struggling. So the practices are um, beginning each morning, even if it's like just taking two seconds, beginning each morning, um, connecting to uh, my altar, which for me is a place where I go and every morning I light a candle, I offer some smoke, bright incense or palo santo, and I offer gratitude. I offer gratitude for the house, the roof over the head, I'm offering gratitude for the wellness of my body. Like even if I'm super stressed out, even if I'm running late, like I pause and begin and, and I begin with gratitude. And then sometimes I'll then ask for support. You know, sometimes it's like, um, I'm asking for your support today to really connect to the meaning of my work, or I'm asking for your support today to find the pleasure and the beauty in today, you know? Um, so that, that again is bare bones sort of practice. And then if I have more room or space, or if I'm basically just further on the ball, um, I'll have, I'll pull some tarot cards and I'll have a morning meditation. Mm -hmm. um, journaling is something that I've never, it never felt good to me to do like at the same time every day. Maybe that's just my like double Aquarius within me, but like, <laughs> I'm just not, not into it. So, but for sure, journaling is powerful because I feel like for me, like words are one of my words are one of my like superpowers, you know, like meaning words have created profound shifts for me, you know, and I feel like it's like making profound shifts in the world. And so um, there's something about writing that I feel like it's just directly me to the universe, excuse me, writing in my journal okay. when it's just me and the page for me, it feels like I'm directly communicating like, you know, with the Osa, right? Like with the universe, with the creator. Um, and there's something super profound about it versus, shall we say, writing a post and posting it on Instagram. Yeah. It's like even the most vulnerable of posts, I'm still writing it knowing that it's to be consumed by others who have their feelings and opinions, right? right? So something about like having a place, whether it be a journal or whether it be like a recorded thing, like having a place where I am just sharing with myself and with God. Like that's something that's, you know, I think really, really powerful. Um, and the last thing that I've really realized is my bare bones is being um, connect, like being outside, but being outside and feeling safe. Mm. Um, that was something really hard when I was living in San Francisco is because there's so many people and I was consciously aware of like, you know, my surroundings, you yeah. know, because you got to be safe. But um, it's hard to connect with the sun on your face. It's hard to, you know, connect with like the roots of the tree behind you, you know, down into the earth. It's hard to connect in this deeper way when we're so caught up in feeling unsafe. And right. so um, 
therefore now that I'm in Michigan and we have like the privilege of having a backyard and like now I'm having to like kind of force myself of recognizing that this is a fucking privilege. Don't take this for granted. You, you know, I've been long enough to know how much of a privilege it is, but therefore to go out and to prioritize being outside and doing nothing, but bringing all my attention to the way that the sun feels on my cheeks, right? Or to go outside and to do nothing, but to truly envision the shape of this maple tree and the leaves that go down into the earth. Because that is, again, unfortunately, for a lot of us, a privilege, you know, that others don't have. And it's a responsibility, I think, to be born as a human. It's our responsibility to cultivate connection and to caretake, you know, the world around us. And like, I have no fucking business living here if I don't notice how this maple tree is doing. No, it's true. You know? I, t- I agree with that 100%. I'm, I'm very much the same way. I think that's why I'm grateful, kind of off topic, but like COVID, I think um, it's allowed for that, like that space for me to do that even more than before. Mm-hmm. I was so caught up on, not bullshit, but like life, quote unquote, yeah. that like during COVID, since there wasn't much to do, like I had to do something and I um, like just it was just look at nature and appreciate random things like how green the trees are and like how blue the sky is just like small stuff that allowed me to like connect and like be more aware of my surroundings because you're right in a way like what are we doing here for not being aware and taking care of others and the planet in general too so I totally right. I totally agree <laughs> <laughs> but um Again, before we end this podcast, I have a few funny questions I want to ask you. Not funny, but just like random, so off topic, but just to get to know you more personal as a person, because um, not only this is a great conversation about all kinds of healings and all that stuff, but also just to think um, you're, yeah, just to get to know you personally. Um, so <laughs> this is funny. If you could have one meal forever, what would this meal be? Oh, hands down. Well, it's also kind of cheating. But tacos? <laughs> is, <laughs> cheating. is that enough? Or do I or do I have to choose? Is it kind of cheating? Is it is cheating. cheating. <laughs> okay. Um, vegetable tacos, like okay. fucking like, like like nopalitos, or even like some like quality. I love refried beans. That's like right. I just love them. Love and in like refried beans alone, or refried beans with cheese, or refried beans with like pico de gallo. Like mm. it's the same refried beans, but it's a whole new experience every time. No. <laughs> that's real love for you to say that that's real love <laughs> <laughs> that did yeah that that really that lit me up i felt the sunshine inside my chest i do have strong feelings about Be beans <laughs> yeah you okay. mentioned earlier with your Kay Bradshaw moment you mentioned beans too so <laughs> that's true oh my god that love, you my, my friends beans are my friends <laughs> I'm just crashing up. All right, another question. What's your favorite thing about yourself? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, I think um, my ability to do things despite being afraid. Mm, that's so powerful. I love that. That's so powerful. Ooh, I like that one. Okay. Uh, another question. Uh, what are your, well, yeah, what's your favorite way to move your body? I love swimming. I love swimming. I love floating in water. 
Yeah, I love just being a water baby. I love that. Okay. What are, you said you were a double Aquarius, so your sun and moon? Yeah, so yeah, Aquarius sun, Aquarius rising, and a Pisces moon. So deep down, I have a lot of emotions, but I'm just like, these are inefficient, like, this is inconvenient, why am I feeling like, yeah. You're definitely like a wa- I can get why swimming and floating, because legit, like, that's very Aquarius and kind of like Pisces too, that, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, no. yeah, so Pisces fish, but actually Aquarius is an air sign. Yeah, but they're like water bears, though. Yeah, I know, yeah, that doesn't really make sense. I know, yeah, right? Interesting. It doesn't really make sense, but yeah, no, yeah. You know, I'm a sun Libra, um, moon Sagittarius, and rising Cancer. That's why we jam so much. I, I love Libras. <laughs> yes. Too, like, I'm like, my people. No, legit, yeah. no, no, I feel like they, yes, yes, to, me, to me, I feel like Aquarius makes sense. Like, they're different, but like, like, they think differently than I think the average person, but it, it makes sense. Like, it's logical. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Two more questions. <laughs> Your current favorite pick-me-up song? Like, if you wake up and you're like, I'm in a little funk, or I need to get energized, I have to have shit to do, what's your pick-me-up song? Take the hard one. Mm-hmm. Well, first one that comes to mind. Okay, well, as of recently, it actually hasn't really been a, necessarily a pick-me-up song, but um, Stan Getz, um, it's a, a old-school jazz dude, French, French jazz dude, and um, that's been, because, you know, because again, I mentioned I have been struggling with COVID and I'm struggling with depression. And so basically a lot of times I wake up and I feel like shit, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like, why am I doing this sort of thing? And his music is so, it's like gentle sounding and it's like the sound of sunshine and coffee oh. on a Sunday morning. Like mm-hmm. it's very, it's very uplifting, but it's not like, you know, workout. Like I wouldn't go and like work no. out. But, it's what makes you feel good. Yeah, Stan Guts for sure. Okay. Um, for sure, check him out if you haven't. Well done. I will. I don't think I have. I, I usually I do play random jazz, but I wonder if I've ever heard his stuff. We'll see. We'll find out. I'm sure you have girl from girl from even the. I can always. That's my song. Girl from yeah, he yeah. wrote that song. He wrote that song, I and the woman singing song. is his wife. And apparently, the story goes is he was with his musician dudes. They were playing the song yeah. and she started singing it from the other room because she knew the lyrics. And he w- and then it was discovered, I guess, that she could sing. I don't know if that's true. That's someone, that's like something that an ex told me. I and I thought it was really romantic. So yeah. I'm going to believe that. It's really romantic. Yeah, and that's the dude. I believe that story. <laughs> right? Yeah. And if you hear her voice, it's so, yeah, like it's not polished. She's, you know, it gets so pure. So yeah. it makes sense to me that it could be, she could be quote unquote discovered, you know, yeah. just because there's so much, yeah, like raw, beautiful. Okay. No, I love that song. Legit, like one of my favorite songs. It's so like, just nice. I don't know. It's just nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. <laughs> Last one. If you have any quote or a life motto you would live by. I want to say... I don't think like that anymore, but that seems weird to say, except as I'm saying this, there's this saying, there's this poem that I was obsessed with from middle school through college. Okay. And it's by this, it's by this poet, his name is Javan, J-A-V-A-N. I think he's from the sixties or seventies. I literally like 
found his book randomly because it fell off of a bookshelf in you know when I was a kid and and the the poem goes um the human the human spirit is shaped as easily as clay upon a potter's wheel wow and I was obsessed with that because starting in middle school is when I really became aware about my like the suffering of the kids around me you know like how insecure they were how much they hated their bodies like how unhappy they were at home like that's when I started to really get attuned to my to my peers in that way and that that poem me because it reminded me of the responsibility that I had to help take care of others and also the responsibility to like be on top of myself so that I could be aware of when I was harming others or when I was helping to uplift them. Wow. That's so like deep and you're like in middle school. Like, <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking about middle school? Like you're here. Dude, like <laughs> Also, I was wearing all black. I was like, so paint that picture. Yeah, no, I was like so deep. That's like such a hard thing to do being in middle school, thinking about like the overall humanity. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't thought about that in fucking years. Yeah. So it's like, so therefore my answer is like, I don't think about that in mottos anymore. And then the little part of me is like, uh uh-uh, uh, bitch, we have this, You're we right. have this poem that we've had since middle school. And I'm like, okay, I guess. No, I, I, yeah. love, I love that motto actually. I'm going to look it up because I think it's, it's very powerful. That's very powerful. I love it. <laughs> How are you in middle school thinking about this? Like, <laughs> Dude, middle school sucked. I fucking hated middle school. Ugh. Actually, I agree with you. Middle school did suck low-key. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. All I did was, like, read poetry and wrote dramatic poetry. And That's like Only good. All right, we need to end this interview. Yeah. This is getting embarrassing now. <laughs> Really, that we were talking forever, but again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Legit, like you shared so much powerful insight, and I think you have, you know, you mentioned before you have like a thing with words, but I definitely want to say you have such a gift of putting into words a lot of things that I think, um, even me myself, I could not put into words. Legit, and I think mm-hmm. it's like so powerful. And I want to thank you so much for coming on and taking time to come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thank you also for um, this beautiful space that you're weaving together for people to, to reconnect to themselves and to celebrate. I mean, you know, celebrate our bodies makes it sound almost sim- more simple than it is. You know, to celebrate our bodies, we have to celebrate ourselves so many ways. And so this is really important work too. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you guys did, please give us a rating on iTunes and Spotify and whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And stay tuned for next week. We'll release a new episode every Wednesday. And yeah, have a great rest of your day.